Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to tell you a story. Uh, this week I had a, I had a, and for me it was an important uh, work meeting, and really, it, it weeks were leading up to this meeting, and and it was important for it to go well. Otherwise, basically, things couldn't advance further. So it was like, it was like really, we had to get it right. And you know, I I came in um, that day, and. We had been preparing for weeks and, and, and not really realizing fully that, that my job was going to be to present the overview and entire introduction to, the, to this meeting. So that's, that's sort of fairly critical and it was about a, an entire page of material that I had to have basically memorized and be able to present like very, very fluently and hopefully in a, in a compelling way. And so I found that out, you know, you know the morning of the of the afternoon meeting, and I'm 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 not good at really memorizing things. I I, I just I mean I, I guess if I really worked at it, maybe I could get good at it. But it's not a, a skill that 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 I've trained myself for, and so I am trying to like memorize this entire page worth of material, which is very lots and lots of information is on it, and I'm like, you know, I can't remember like the transitions from one part to the next part. And then when I am sort of memorizing it, I'm just sort of, I'm just just trying to say the words so it sounds very, very mechanical, like not like not in a way that is going to make an impression on you. So, so basically, it's not going well. <laughs> the meeting is very soon, and it's like very, very important. So, at a certain point, I said to myself, "Okay, I got to just, I got to try something different. I'm just going to go outside. I'm going to go out onto the sidewalk, and I'm just going to walk." up and down with the page in front of me and I just walk back and forth, back and forth and just say it over and over and over and over again until I get it right. And the street that I work on is not, people don't really walk on this street for the most part. It's just like kind of like warehouses. So in the warehouse that I'm in, it's just basically uh, tattooed artists with body piercings, right? And the and the other warehouse is just people who are factory workers in this kind of this this jewelry kind of uh, enterprise, and that's the only people on the on the block. So, so y- if you don't know the person, you probably don't know the person, but you know, okay, they work in that building or they work in that building, and that's what it is. So there's a sense of familiarity, even you know, if you don't really know the people. So I didn't have. So I felt like I don't have to be self-conscious in front of these people. They know I'm a, I'm in that building, and so I'm just going to walk up and down the street, and I'm just going to talk out loud. And just because that's, I have to practice actually talking out loud. So, so I'm walking back and forth. And I'm very nervous, you know, because I'm not, I'm trying to break it down into little pieces. And it's, it's okay, I'm making some progress. Not, not, I'm not exactly there yet. And anyway, at a certain point, this African-American woman, probably in her 30s, starts walking up the street. And I recognize that this is a new face. She, she doesn't work in my building and she doesn't look like she works in the other building. This is someone new. And she walks right up to me and she says, are you an actor? And, it, you know, it kind of like <coughs> it made me pause. And I was holding this paper and I was thinking, well, um, memorizing lines in order to perform them and so I said, kinda. And she said, I prayed for you. 
And then she held up something in her hand, which I saw was a script, which indicated to me that she was also an actor. And then she just walked on. And I was like, what just happened? Like, is that, was that Eliyahu? Like, like what, 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 just, what just happened? And, but I can tell you this, I felt better. I felt calmer. I felt like this was like a, a message from God that, you know, that just that he's looking over me and that, you know, it's going to go okay and everything like this. And, and then I just kind of went right back into the page and then just poured my concentration back on it and, and it was getting smoother and better. And then at the end of the time that I had to prepare, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, while I'm driving, I'll be able to go over it some more in the car, but I, th- I think I'm good. I think I'm in a good place. So as I was driving, like I drove a couple of blocks before I had to get to the place, and I see her standing on the corner, like a couple of blocks away, and I had completely forgotten that this had even happened. You know, like these things, like you have these experiences, and then they're like, they fly in and out of your head, which is why I'm happy that I at least record these. I don't know if I'll ever listen to the story again. I hope so. hope I remember this. Um, but it was just a reminder to me, oh, yeah, yeah, that thing happened. That's a, that's, that's a good thing. And it went well. It went well. Thank God the meeting went well. I was able to, to deliver it in a good way, and, and the rest of it went well. And I told my partner, who's, who's from Nashville, not Jewish, but, you know, spiritually connected, and I told him the next day the story, and he was like, why didn't you tell me? He was like, <laughs> like you got to tell me these things when they happen. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I just, you know, it was just so kind of otherworldly, the whole experience, you know? So, anyway, so with, with that as an introduction, um, I want to discuss uh, Birkas Kahanam. That's the, that's the, I guess the horrible English translation would be the, the priestly blessing. Um, there are three... Three sort of, uh, I don't know, I don't even, I, I wouldn't want to call them divisions, that's the wrong word, categories would be the wrong word, but there's three sort of like segments, that's the wrong word, but whatever it is of the Jewish people, like um, one is just uh, the Israelites would, I guess would be the, the uh, translation, just the, you know, the basic Jewish people, and then we have um, the Levium, which Godwin will, will discuss some more a little bit later. And then we have the Kahanim. And, and the Levium and the Kahanim are from the family of Levi. Jacob, of course, had uh, many sons. One of the sons was Levi. And then this line of Levi produces the luminaries Moshe, Moses, and Aaron, right? So, so and, and then the sons of Aaron become the Kahanim, which are really the people who are running the Mishkan. That's, that becomes the base of Migdash, the, the holy temple in Jerusalem, which is really like the, the, the base of Migdash, the Mishkan, that's like the, the connection between heaven and earth. And the Levium are those who are assisting the Kahanim in, in the Mishkan. So, so and, and they get a special blessing from Moshe Rabbeinu to be the teachers of Israel. So it's really one family, the Levium, but then within the Levium, you also have this extra sort of like group called the Kahanim. And the Magali Amukos points out something very beautiful, which is that if you take the first letter of these three groups, 
Kahanim, Leviim, and uh, uh, Yisrael, or Yis, you know the Israelites, it spells the word Kli, which means vessel, which means that when when there's unity among Klal Yisrael, among the people of Israel, it forms this vessel, and then it's uh, we're able to hold you know just you know all sorts of blessings, um, all sorts of divine light. So. So Birkas Kahanim, so the Kahanim, since they're sort of the, spiritually speaking, they sort of sit at the, the heights of the Jewish people. Uh, one of their jobs is actually to be a conduit for blessing uh, into the world and, and to the Jewish people. And there's, there's a special blessing that they say. And, um, and so we're going to kind of just try to study it a little bit. Um, <clears throat> We'll go deeper and deeper, but let's just start with something nice that I saw from the from the Kliyakar, one of the great commentators. Um, so, so he points out that that each of the there's like three lines of blessings. Each line of blessing begins with the letter Yud, um, and and he points out there's something very interesting about the letter Yud, which is that. It's the name of a letter, but if you if you actually spell the name of the letter, Yud is spelled with the letter Yud, and then Vav Dalit, that spells Yud, right? Um, so, but when you say Yud, you're kind of just thinking of the first letter. You're not really thinking of the spelling of the word itself for, for, for the letter, if that makes sense. So in other words, the letter Yud is visible to the eye, but the remaining two letters, which actually spell the name of the letter, are not visible, because normally speaking, you're just picturing the, the letter itself. So if you take the two letters which aren't, so to speak, visible, which spell out the word Yud, that's Vav and Dalit. Vav and Dalit add up to 10. So what's interesting, the Kliyakar points out, is that the visible letter is Yud, which is the number 10, and the unseen letters add up to 10 as well. So you have 10 and 10, one seen by the eye, one not seen by the eye. And each of the lines of blessing that the Kahanim say begins with the letter Yud. So the Kliyakar concludes, based on this, that there's an aspect of the blessing which is for the revealed aspects of your life. This is sort of like the physical aspects of your life. And then the blessing is also operating on a deeper level, which is also blessing the soul elements of your life, the unseen elements of your life. And that's reflected in the letter Yud, in that there's the 10 that's visible and the 10 that's unseen. Just like there's an aspect of you that's visible and an aspect of you that's unseen, and this blessing is covering the entirety of your life, both your physicality and your spirituality. So I like that. I thought that was... I thought that was interesting. Um, the Medrash makes an interesting comment about Pirkas Kahanim. Um, in, in many places, uh, the rabbis make this comparison that, that uh, God is not like people. And there, there are all sorts of um, teachings that, that begin that way. Like, for instance, they say, like, if you were to mint a coin, every coin, like, if you imagine, like, a dime or whatever it is, Every dime looks the same if you mint it, right? And yet God, so to speak, mints people, and no two faces are the same. 
You know, one thing that I saw that was interesting um, was that, you know, there's certain parts of a child that they say are given, they say that the white parts of the child are given over by the father, and the red parts of the father, or rather the red parts of the child are given over by the mother. So for instance, the bones, which are white, come from the father, whereas the organs, which are red, come from the mother. So, and then it, it gets more particular as well, but, but that's interesting. But they say that every child has three partners. There's the father, there's the mother, and there's also God. And one of the things that comes from God is the face, which is interesting. It's interesting, and it shows you that, that the, just like minting a coin, like every coin when a person does it is the same, but when God mints people, so to speak, he never runs out of faces. And just, it's a, just a, another expression of God's endless creativity. Um, I don't know if we'll have a chance to delve into this further, but something that just occurred to me, and it's, it's attached to a larger teaching, but I just want to say, no two, you know how many heavenly bodies there are in terms of like planets and like all sorts of things? But if you think about it, and this never occurred to me, no two look the same, right? Mars doesn't look like Jupiter. Jupiter doesn't look like Venus. Right? Saturn's got rings around it. I mean, again, just another, and now you're getting into, you know, hundreds of billions of, you know, different heavenly bodies, right? Like, like have you ever seen, you know, they show those amazing NASA pictures uh, of galaxies and things like that? Do they ever show two that say, oh, no, 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 these look exactly the same? So again, just a further expression of God's endless creativity. Um, so, so here's another teaching, but regarding Birkas Kahanim. So the rabbis say that God is not like people. When, 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 um, when a person gives a gift, they can't guarantee that you uh, maintain the gift. Because you could be met by robbers, and you could give someone a gift, and then robbers could steal the gift. But not so God. If God gives you a gift, you keep the gift. So the Ger Rebbe, um, the Chedush Rim, brings this teaching, but he also brings a teaching from his Rebbe, from the from uh, Reb Simcha Bonim, who who challenges this assertion of the Medrash. He says, "Is it really true that?" that there's no guarantee if a person gives you a gift? Why can't he take out an insurance policy and give you the insurance policy with the gift so that if it's stolen, you can get, you can get the gift replaced? Right? You can get the, 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 the monetary equivalent of the thing so that you can get it back. So, so that's an interesting challenge, like, you know, on this teaching. Sometimes you hear these teachings and you don't think to question them further, but Judaism is all about, like, just questioning everything to the hilt, you know? So, so he gives an answer. He gives an answer to his own challenge. And this is, this is very deep. He says, now remember, when we're talking about giving a gift and protecting it, it's because the first line of um, Birkas Kahanim is Yivarecha Hashem V'yishmarecha, which is um, translated as, may God bless you and safeguard you. Which, which means that the way Rashi uh, explains it is that 
God who gives you the gift will also safeguard the gift. That's, a, that's where it's coming from. It's coming from the, the actual blessing itself. See, because as we've discussed long ago, it's one thing to get something and then it's a whole other level to still have something. In other words, just because you get something doesn't mean you get to necessarily keep it. You know, In fact, one of the reasons why one of the names for money is Zuz. And zoos means something that moves around because money flies from pocket to pocket. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, God willing, it will fly into your pocket. But then you also need an extra blessing that it should stay in your pocket because things, all sorts of blessings fly around, you know? So to actually keep it, you know, is, is something else. I once thought, now we're getting more into this, but I once thought, you know, there's all sorts of, it's, it's a very complicated field of, uh, of Torah, but it's sort of like, when to make blessings on foods when you're traveling. So, for instance, if you make a blessing on an apple, and you say, Bray creates, and you take a bite of your apple in their house, it's a real question if you then take it into your car and drive to work, and then you take a bite of it at work, whether or not it requires a new blessing or not. So, I'm, I'm not going to go into like the actual details. If, if that's a field of study that you're interested in, it's quite complicated and interesting. But, but to the extent that, let's say, you would have to, let's say a situation where you would have to make another blessing on the same apple, right? See, what strikes me is very deep on that. You might think that, well, wait a second, that seems to be very redundant. Like, I already acknowledge the fact that this apple came from God. How many times does God want me to acknowledge the fact that he made this particular apple? I mean, really, let's, let's be serious. But to me, I think it's very beautiful to make another blessing on it, if, if the halacha requires it. Because you're saying to God, thank you for the fact that I still have this apple. Right? Because that's a whole other level. Like, you gave me this apple, but holy smokes, I still have this apple. <laughs> like that's, that, that really is worthy of another blessing. It is. Okay? So, so let's get back to this idea that the uniqueness of God, that when he gives a blessing, he also guards the blessing. Or, the way Reb Simcha Bunim puts it, the, the blessing itself is also the protection for the blessing. So, so he quotes, because this is a big idea, so we have to explain it further. He quotes a line from the Tehillim. It's actually Tehillim um, uh, number 119, verse 89. Um, and it says, let's see, it says, Forever Hashem... Your word stands firm in heaven. Forever, Hashem, your word stands firm in heaven. So, so what does that mean? This is a, a very amazing pasuk. This is an amazing verse from the Torah. And it means that when God spoke the world into creation, that his word continues and it continues to shape and form the physical universe. And that it stands firm in the heaven, meaning to say God's word and God's command has never stopped reverberating and has never stopped subsequently triggering creation. Meaning to say, remember, we, we say it all the time in the prayers, that the world is... Uh, being created every single moment. It's being created anew. 
every single moment. Because God's word to create the world is constantly reverberating and therefore constantly making and remaking the universe. So that's what's, what's very exciting about that thought is that it shows you that the, that the world itself is not a stagnant entity. That there's like energy like that's constantly circulating and constantly creating and recreating. This, this means that there's always an opening. It also means that no matter what you think of your life or whatever habits, good habits, maybe bad habits that you've developed, that you're not stuck. Because the world is constantly being created and recreated. So let me, let me put it to you another way. And this is something that sort of hit me as we were getting closer to Shavuos, which is the holiday of the, of the giving of the Torah. It says, one of the um, teachings, one of the Midrashim, which, which I really love, is that it says that when, when, when God gave the Torah, that there was no echo. Like, when God spoke, there was no echo. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe explains it in a very beautiful way. He says, what's the physics, what's the science of, of how an echo is made? He said, an echo is when sound waves hit something that it's not. So if you imagine someone yodeling in the Alps or something like that, they're, they're, the sound that's coming out of their voice hits a mountainside and then it bounces off. So it creates an echo. But when God spoke, since there's nothing in the world that's not an emanation of godliness, there was nothing for God's voice to bounce off of because God's voice never encountered anything other than an aspect of himself. Which means, when it says in the Torah that the voice from Mount Sinai has never stopped, it means to this day, that voice from Mount Sinai that God spoke out, the Torah, has been traveling through time. Because through time and space and history, there is no thing other than God that fills the world for it to bounce off of. Which means that God's voice is still traveling throughout the entire world, not just at Mount Sinai, but right here in this room right now. This is what, what, what we're doing together right now is giving voice to these waves that are constant and never stopping. It's a, it's, this is... This is an amazing thing to understand that this is the ultimate continuity of history, is the, the echoing or the non-echoing, if you will, of God's voice. And, and, and so, so, so it goes a little bit further because the rabbis in, in, in Gomorrah Sanhedrin, it's on 42a, talk about um, the planets as being creatures of truth whose achievement is truth. Now, what does that mean that the planets are creatures of truth? Because it says that they, they were put into certain orbits and the orbits don't change. So they were given a certain path and 
and they're creatures of truth. They adhere to this to this path, and it gives you a renewed appreciation of what what it means to be a human being, because we also have a path. Do you know the word halacha, which is translated, I think, sort of like, you know, very functionally, but also somewhat tragically as Jewish law. I mean, it is Jewish law, but halacha really means the path or the way. Holech means to walk. So it's, it's you can, or if, if you like, if you want to get a little poetic about it, you can also call it an orbit. It's no different from the orbit of a planet. The only difference is, is that human beings have the free choice to break from their orbit. Right? But then, you know, but then... God is entering them into a, a, a different orbit. You know what I mean? Because we can't outsmart God. So, so for instance, let, let me explain. It says that, that before a person like raises their finger or, or just, just anything, the smallest bodily movement, that angels announce it in heaven. So they say, well, what happens like before a person sins? Like, do they really announce in heaven that this person is about to sin? Right? So what, what announcement takes place in heaven? So I saw this from Reb Shlomo in the name of the Sansa Rebbe. I think he was learning it from a, a Zohar. Um, I'm not positive, but, but, uh, but he said something very beautiful. He said that, you know what's announced in heaven by the angels before a person sins? Listen to this. It's very beautiful. It's announced, this person is making a new path in tshuva. <laughs> tshuva, of course, means to return to God. So at this moment, it seems like the person is breaking from the path. But really, the ultimate destiny of that person will be to return to the path. And so, so this is just the beginning of their pathway to tshuva, even if at the moment it looks like they're leaving the orbit. Right? They're entering into this other orbit, which is this orbit of tshuva, but, but it hasn't gone full cycle yet. You, know, you haven't seen the, the full pattern of what's going to come out. And hopefully it's during this lifetime as opposed to many lifetimes, but with God's help. Okay. So, so let's get back to this idea. We're still trying to explain the Shiska Rebbe, the Reb Simcha Bonum what it means that the blessing itself is the protection of the blessing. The blessing itself, so that when God gives a blessing, when God, so to speak, speaks out that this blessing should come to this person, what he's done essentially is he shaped a pathway in the heavens to send that, to send that blessing, to send that shefa to that person. So in other words, the blessing itself is the protection for the blessing because God has carved this pathway right to you and nothing can change that pathway. So the blessing itself is the guarding of the blessing because God himself has shaped it in that way. So there's no changing it. There's, there's, no, there's no additional need to protect it because that has now become the nature of the world, that that should come to you. Um... So, so we mentioned the Levium. So I want to so get more into the Levium. And we said that really the, these blessings, that was, that was a little bit on Birkas Kahanam. 
And remember, the Kahanim are members of the tribe of, of Levi. And, and there's something, you know, they're the, the sort of the, the domain of the Levium and the Kahanim were, was, was the Mishkan. And that, again, was the prototype for the first holy temple and second holy temple and God willing, third holy temple in Jerusalem, the base of Migdash. So when we say the Mishkan, just imagine the holy temple in Jerusalem. And again, that's the connection between heaven and earth. That's where we got um, the ability to correct any, any, any mistakes that we made. And also an, an ability to, to say thank you to God and, and all sorts of things. It was like a very important nerve center. And the world is missing it right now. So there's, there's a lot of problems in the world because we don't have this, this vehicle connecting heaven and earth in this very harmonious way. The world really needs the Beis Hamikdash. We we need it. We need it. So, so anyway. Um, so with that in mind, when the Mishkan was uh, was dedicated, all the princes of the tribes of Israel brought gifts. And what's so interesting about it is that they all brought the same gifts, and the gifts are very very symbolic. And the first gift that's mentioned is this, this silver bowl that they, that they each brought. And by the way, it says that, um, you know, it's a, it's a real sort of surprising thing in the Torah because the ink of the Torah is so precious, meaning to say that every single letter, the crown of every single letter is so precious um, and so exact. And, and it could have said, it could have said the, bless, the, the gifts that each each prince of each tribe brought. And then at the end of that, since they all brought the same thing, there could have been one, one more verse that says, and they all brought that. But instead, it's written, even though it's the identical thing, and it's like a paragraph long to get out all the gifts, it's written 12 individual separate times in the Torah, which is almost unprecedented, especially since there was such an easy way around it. And I just want to tell you just a, a little thing that happened to me a few weeks ago, just talking about just the ink of the Torah. It was actually my mother's yard site, and I had an aliyah, it was Mincha, and I went to be with my sister, so I was uh, in, a, in a shul that I normally don't go to, and, you know, there were so many different things that had to come together for this experience to happen. Um, the lighting had to be just right, and the ink that they used on the Sefer Torah had to be just right. But I've never seen this before since in my whole life, which is that the light was hitting the letters and the letters were so shiny that it looked like diamonds. All the letters of the Torah looked like diamonds. And I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm saying diamonds, diamonds. I'm not just saying, oh, as if they were, no, like diamonds. And like if you look at a diamond ring and you see how the light hits a diamond ring, that's how the letters looked. It was really spectacular. I'd never seen anything like that before. Um, so, so anyway, there was, there's, there's so much extra ink given over for the, for the gifts. And, and there are different explanations. One explanation that I heard was because, because this is actually very beautiful which is that even though they all brought the same thing, 
their intention was, was different. They all had separate individual intentions, which means that if you had just said what they brought, and all 12 tribes brought this, it wouldn't have given proper covered, proper honor to their gifts because it wasn't really about just that gift, the ichor, the main point was the thought behind the gift. So, you know, it, it, to, to me what that did was, the, the new thought here for me, the reason why it was so impactful was that it sort of like redefined who a person is. That a person is not so much their outside, but a person is really their inside. And that's why it had to be mentioned 12 different times because the essence wasn't what they brought, it was the amazing thoughts behind what they brought. Um, so again, with this in mind, um, there's all sorts of um, symbolic uh, explanations for what each of the gifts um, means. And, and I just want to focus on, on the, the very first thing that they brought. So they, they, they brought a silver bowl. Um, and in Hebrew you would uh, pronounce it ka'aris kesef. And it says that ka'aris kesef is uh, the numerical value, the gematria 930. Now 930 is interesting because here we're talking about a vessel. And that vessel is the number of years that Adam Harishon lived, the first, the first person. Adam lived 930 years. That's interesting. Okay, because you know a human being is kind of a vessel too, right? A silver bowl. A bowl is a vessel. Now, by the way, just as an aside, if you don't know it, there's a medrash because there's a nice piece of math that works so beautifully, which is that everybody knows that David HaMelech lived 70 years. Well, that works really nicely, doesn't it? That Adam is 930 and then... David is 70, that adds up to a very beautiful 1,000, right? And it says that Adam Harishon had a vision that he saw all the future generations, and he saw this great, great soul that died at birth. And he, he asked Hashem, who is that person? And God says, that's, that's David HaMelech. And, and Adam gave him 70 years from his life. So Adam was supposed to live for 1,000 years, and he gave 70 years to David HaMelech. Now, what's additionally interesting about that is that the, the way Adam is spelled is Aleph, Dalit, Mem, which the rabbis teach stands for Adam, David, Mashiach. So here you have, within the first person, you have sort of a timeline, because the first person at that point also contained Chava as well. So there's Eve was inside Adam still at this point. So in other words... In, inside Adam was not just Chava, but all future humanity till the end of days. So doesn't it make perfect sense then that Adam's name itself should be a timeline for all of future human history? The, and if you have to sum it up, this is a pretty good summary. Adam, David, Mashiach, right? So, so, so there you have that. But anyway, this silver bowl which again is a, a vessel, is, is Gamachi 930. But then here's the part that I want to go m more deeply into. 
The Torah says that this silver bowl weighed 130 shekels. Now, this is, there's a figure in the Torah that we hardly ever talk about. His name is, in English we say Seth, S-E-T-H, Seth. That's, that's, that was the third child of Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava. They had Cain, Hevel, and then Seth. Okay? In, in Hebrew, you say Sheish, Shesh. I have trouble pronouncing that. It's Shin, Tav. Shet. Okay, so we'll say it like that. Um, I was trying to do the Ashkenazi pronunciation. By the way, I'll just tell you something, which is that I spoke at a, a Persian kolel Shavuos night from 12 to 2, and it was like a long walk from my house, and I didn't quite know how I was going to, how long it would take, or whatever it is, and I, I wanted to be on time, and what, whatever it was. So, so I started walking. I wasn't sure if I left enough time, or whatever it was, and I didn't even know exactly where it was, but I found it, and I walk in, and I look at the clock, 12 o'clock, almost exactly, right? I was very happy with myself. So I turned to the rabbi. I said, you know, because he told me to come at 12. I said, look, look. I point to the clock. I said, look at what time it is. And he said to me, that's so? And I thought he was going to say, punctual, on time, you know, upright. Like, how is he going to complete this sentence? And he said to me, that's so? Ashkenazi. (laughs) So I thought, you know, as a happy Indian guy, you don't, you, you don't get called that so often. So anyway, <laughs> I laughed. I thought that was pretty funny. So anyway, so we'll say Shet, even though that's, that's not usually my pronunciation, but that, that works. Now, now, you don't hear so much about him. And his story really ties very beautifully into the story of the Mishkan itself, because what's the Mishkan about? The Mishkan is about fixing things, right? That's why we're bringing offerings there. That maintaining that harmony between heaven and earth and everything like this. So, so what happened? So, so after Adam and Chava had Cain and Hevel, Cain and Abel, and we know one murders the other, and you know, there's the eating from the tree of knowledge and the being, you know, removed from the Garden of Eden and everything like this. So it says that Adam and Chava separated and that they weren't together. And that it was only till after 130 years that they came together again and they had this baby. So, and by the way, Shet is the father of the Jewish people. It's from, it's from him that the, that the Jewish people trace their lineage. And so, so it's really a second chance for all of humanity. And, and so with that in mind, think about, think about what, what it is that each of, the, each of the people, each of the leaders of, of the different tribes of Israel are bringing this bowl that is the weight of 130, the time that Adam and Chava gave themselves, gave the world, gave God a second chance. And that's, and, and, and so, and, and that's a bowl. That's like a vessel for the chance to 
hold something, the chance to start again, which is which is the whole concept of a mishkan that you can like like Rabbi Nachman says it so simply and beautifully. You have to believe if you can break something that you can also repair. Person has to know if they can break something, they can also repair it. And by the way, I heard such a beautiful te- teaching on this from Rabbi Meir Fun. He says that you know, with human eyes, if you have like say a vessel of some kind, some kind of you know jar or something like this, like imagine a ceramic pot or something that you bought at some kind of art fair, and you drop it and it breaks, and you put it back together again, it never looks quite as nice as it did when you bought it in initially. He says, but in the eyes of heaven, if something breaks and you put it back together again, it looks even more beautiful than it looked the first time. So I was looking at this word, um, shit, which is, again, shin, tough, right? Which is actually the, the last two letters of the Aleph base. And I was thinking, wow, that looks like the word Shabbat but without the bays. And I thought, wow. And it just kind of blew my mind a little bit because bays is the number two, as in Adam and Chava. And it's sort of like when they removed themselves, when they made it not about them, then all of a sudden, another chance comes into the world. See, a lot of times it's sort of like what... Maybe, maybe I should just try again and now I'm just going to make it about God. I'm going to take myself out of the picture. See, Shabbos, remember, Adam and Chava were created right before Shabbos. And if they had just not eaten from the tree of knowledge, which, by the way, was an enormous test. Don't think for a moment like, oh, why did they have to do that? It was like the biggest test ever. And for whatever reason, we weren't able to pass it. Um, however if they had passed it then they would have gone into Shabbat and that would have been the end of days remember the messianic period is called Yom Shekulo Shabbos the day that will be all Shabbos so Shabbos means total rectification that means perfection so sometimes if you just like they just said, you know what, we're standing in our own way right now. We're so mad at each other. We're so mad at ourselves. We're so mad at God. But maybe let's just take ourselves out of the picture. So they take the, the, the bays out, right, which is two. They take the two of them out and they make this beautiful sun. And this beautiful sun gives birth to the Jewish people, which is going to usher in the redemption and the great Shabbos. Okay, so I want to cover one more thing, and because we're talking about the Levium, and and uh, you talked about the Kahanim, but now let's talk more about the Levium. So, the Levium again were the teachers of Klal Yisrael. They got this special blessing from Moshe Rabbeinu that the tribe of Levi should 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 be the teachers. And and by the way, just so you know that this is including all of us. This blessing from Moshe Rabbeinu is including all of us, the Rambam says that anyone who really devotes themselves to Torah and who makes it, you know, a serious foundation in their life, 
that they are also members of the tribe of Levi. So don't think that it's like, you know, when we're over the next teaching that we're about to learn together, don't think of it as something that's very exclusive or just like this, this is just according to the bloodline of Levi. This is anyone who really dedicates themselves to Torah. The Rambam, it's the Rambam, says, no, you're a member of the tribe of Levi. Okay? So, so with that in mind, listen to the following. It says over and over again, we're going to learn it over and over again, especially in these parshas. It says, don't count the members of Levi. Like when you do the census and you're counting all the other tribes, don't count the Levium. And it's always saying, ha-Levium, ha-Levium, the Levium, right? That's the word that the Torah uses, ha-Levium, okay? So, so I was thinking about this. What does it mean, don't, don't count them, don't count them? So, leading up to Shavuos, we must have said this a dozen times, but you'll, you'll see why I'm bringing it up again now. The Torah is given on the 50th day, and we count to the number 49, and then we stop counting. And it seems to me like, if we're going to count at all, the whole point is to count to the number 50. Count to the number 50, that's when the Torah is given. That, that, if we're going to count at all, right? And yet, no, you count to the, 49, the number 49, and then you don't count the number 50. Why? Why? So because you, when you get to the number 50, you're talking about infinity. You're talking about the Torah itself, which is endless. You can't put a number on it. It's beyond, 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 beyond. Don't make the mistake of thinking that the difference between the number 48 and 49 is the same as the difference between the number 49 and 50. When you get to 49, that's, you kind of hit a wall of sorts, and then 50 is like just quantum levels higher. Okay. So then why, by the way, why, by the way, this is me talking now, why, by the way, does the Torah say count to the number 50, which the rabbis understand means count to the number 49? Why even mention the number 50? Because I think that when God said that, said the number 50, in that verse, what he did was he created an entrance to infinity. In other words, we don't, we're not at the level of counting the number 50, but the fact that God just articulated 50 means that there is this entrance point to 50 now. So that there's a gateway to 50, even if you can't get to 50 necessarily, at least the entrance way exists because the number itself was uttered by God. Okay, so now let's get back to the Levium. When it says, don't count the Levium, don't count the Levium, it says it over and over again. What I want to say is like this. Remember, the tribe of Levi are the teachers of Torah. That's like the number 50, right? I think what it means is, don't count the Levium means that the Levium are beyond counting. In other words, they're on the level since they are sort of the emissaries of Torah entering into the world. They're like the number 50. It's not don't count them, even though that's what the verse says. But what it means is like the number 50, which can't be counted, the Levium, as these conduits of Torah into the world, also can't be counted. So now, let me give you further support for this. Remember, their whole 
jurisdiction is the Mishkan, which we say is this intermediary place between heaven and earth. Right? I, I learned, I didn't get the source, but I learned from someone who's very reliable that there's a, a, a teaching that the all the other tribes of Israel are the black letters in the Torah, but the Levium are the white, the white spaces, right? The white fire, okay? And I'll give you a further support for that idea because the gematria of the word ha-Levium, the Levium, is 91. And of course, 91 is a number we keep on returning to because that's the sum of two divine names, the Yud-Ke-Vav-Ke and Aleph, Dalud, Nun, and Yud, two divine names which symbolize heaven and earth. So again, the Levium are in that place somewhere between heaven and earth, that, that white fire which is surrounding the black fire, the conduits of Torah into this world. And all of us, if you take Torah seriously, according to the Rambam, you have ownership in terms of this divine pipeline of being members of the tribe of Levi. So... So we'll just wrap it up. There's so much bracha in the world. And wherever we go, the Torah is still reverberating. The universe is still being made over and over and over and over and over again. And, you know, God should just bless us that we should open up our eyes, that we should be able to see the beauty and if we forget for a moment that someone's, that God himself is guarding us, God should send us someone to remind us that, <laughs> that we're being looked after. And, and if no one's going up to you, telling you, I just prayed for you, you can go up to someone else and tell them, hey, I just prayed for you. <laughs>